Welcome to Innovation Economics. My name is Justin Cornreich and I'm your host on today's episode. Today, our guest speaker and I are going to talk about what sparks innovation in the 21st century. In the past, many economists have turned to giving free education, tax cuts, and direct subsidizations to R&D in certain industries. This is currently what is believed to boost the innovativeness of society. However, for episode one, our guest speaker, William Kerr, is going to discuss the complexity of monopolies and what he believes is the most effective method in boosting innovation. Professor Kerr is currently teaching entrepreneurship at the Harvard School of Business and will take us through his perspective after the short break. most of your articles on VoxEU. Um, I found them very interesting. I mainly focused on the ones about innovation. Um, but my main understanding of your work is that uh, for an uh, innovator to be successful, it really depends on his access to, I guess, university-level education, and then I guess also how much um, they're being taxed by the government, and I guess their background in their family's wealth, like where they grew up, and how innovative the city is and how wealthy the family is. But um, my first question is just, how do you think, or what aspects um, do you think are most effective in boosting innovation for the government? Like, would it be giving free education or would it be um, giving direct subsidizations towards like research and development? Um, but I'm just trying to hear what you think, so. I, absolutely, and, and again, thank you for for first reading some of the old materials and and, uh, mm -hmm. and taking interest in, in this topic. There are certainly, when you think about entrepreneurship, some parts of success in these fields, uh, both for an individual and then more broadly for the communities and countries around themselves. And some people mm -hmm. are, are you know, they, they've got that really hardworking streak inside them where they're willing to take uh, some extra risks or they're, you know, able to try to advance uh, the scientific person. Uh, specific nature of the entrepreneurship innovation process is one that we've tried to learn more about. Mm -hmm. But you're also highlighting that there's a lot of other stuff that goes beyond just the, the raw in ingredients of individuals. The, the context in which people find themselves can really uh, enable or stifle some of the, 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 the raw talent that they have and some of the potential for unlocking uh, these changes. And that those differences are, are very stark. Uh, they're also very stark even with what certain uh, tech cluster centers are able to accomplish for the startups that are developing in there or what um, kind of the uh, frontier research universities are able to provide to the communities around them and to the, the fields that, that they're working in. So our, one of the things we've been trying to uh, work on uh, in, in 
the research enterprise as academics is to better characterize what those conditions are and then how we can ideally help uh, improve them. And, and so let me try to think a little bit, you know, some of the levers or, you know, what can we do to be, be better at this uh, as you phrase the question? So one, uh, entrepreneurship innovation ended up being a, a, a little distinct or different. Uh, I, I, I would have my first line of attack be different between the two of them. For entrepreneurship, uh, there's many, many uh, sources and ways to get into the development of a new business uh, and the idea of, of really trying to transform the, the business landscape and industry that, uh, that, that's around you. Uh, it does not, in, in some cases, uh, need to have an advanced uh, degree or diploma or certificate. In fact, sometimes the outsiders to an area are able to really rethink the underlying logic or, or structure of the business. We want to have a lot of ideas being tested and tried out because in advance, we often don't know which of these is going to work. I mean, it's part of, it hasn't been done before, or there's several ways that you might approach this task. We need to test out uh, a, a variety of them. So education can be a benefit, but one of the important things for uh, local policymakers and business leaders and so forth is to simply try to lower the, the barriers of the costs uh, to engaging in uh, these new business creations and, and developing uh, uh, them uh, further. On the innovation side, it gets to be a little bit um, uh, more varied in that there's certainly, uh, as we've all been rooting for, and, and I think we finally achieved uh, a COVID vaccine or actually multiple ones of those, that requires, that kind of work obviously requires a lot of very heavy investment, significant laboratories, a long time being educated to be able to do the, the distinctive work in that field. Those sorts of breakthroughs are, are really essential. Uh, and they're ones that we recognize the government uh, and through universities and through the ways that it's uh, trying to support this process often plays a, a, a important role because a lot of the, the benefits that come through really advancing the frontier of knowledge, these kind of really uh, um, kind of uh, big step functions in how we uh, can think about um, or, or appreciate what is possible with technology uh, and, and, and the breakthroughs that surround that, that often has a lot of externalities or, or it's got many more benefits uh, than what one individual is going to be able to obtain. So the government plays an important role uh, in, in, in doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so with these like subsidizations, like who do you think, obviously they would come from, I guess, taxpayers money, um, or would it, would it come from taxpayers money? And if so, would it come from the upper class, the lower class? Like how would you work taxes into this situation? I think one important starting point as you contemplate taxes in this situation is that we often believe there's a very high return towards doing basic research uh, and towards doing uh, applied work that can, for example, you know, provide for stronger health in the economy. So you are you're taxing or you're otherwise financing uh, uh, at a moment in time innovations that 
as they make our overall growth and economic development and health of our community stronger provides a lot more into the future because you've got a you got a bigger tax base in the future that's contributing contributing back. So I want to just begin by saying or, or trying to frame in our minds that this isn't a zero sum game. This isn't a situation of I take money from one uh, taxpayer and I'm giving it to somebody else as, as which we do have as part of a redistributive economy uh, uh, and, and taxes and the welfare state has an important role there. When we think about taxes in a research uh, context and supporting the work that's being done towards innovation, th there's, there's a return that you're trying to achieve from that. And it's about uh, seeking to obtain that, that sort of uh, that best return. We, mm -hmm. to, your, to your second part of your question though, which you, you highlight at the beginning, you, you're talking about tuition costs and, and some of those um, challenges. We, are, we have education is becoming runaway expensive uh, in, in this country. And there's a, there's, you know, one fundamental reason why that's happening is there's a, remains a lot of heavy human interaction or input. You, you want to have a professor that's, uh, in, you know, engaged with the students. We want to keep the class size small, but that sort of direct input means that we have not yet utilized technology to the full extent that we probably, we, we can and, 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 I think in, as we've seen how some of this has worked with COVID, we probably will be doing uh, in, in the future. But just as uh, healthcare and other kind of fields have, all, that have also retained this kind of heavy human input well to, to some of the more uh, uh, ad, advanced technology sectors, uh, our costs are going up and, and we've got to find some way to, uh, to change that and adjust that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... I mean, with going on to education, do you feel like if the government did provide, um, if they did cover the cost of university uh, level education, that do you think like the value of school would down uh, will go down? Like, will st uh, students stop caring about attending classes and they wouldn't take it as seriously because it's free? Gosh, I hope not. <laughs> and, and I think we have some evidence that wouldn't be the case. Uh, in, in a number of European countries. Uh, education, uh, university level education is practically free. And it's not something that has been devalued. If anything, uh, the people that are choosing to go to school see a lot of opportunity that, that emerges uh, from that. Uh, oftentimes the, the, the value is not, or, or the cost of education is not just um, the tuition dollars, which they, they, that is, as we noted a little bit earlier, that those are substantial. But there's also, you know, it's an opportunity cost. You're, you're choosing to spend a lot of your time uh, for four years or, or possibly longer uh, at a university working uh, on your studies and with kind of a forward-looking goal in mind and not, um, not entering the workforce sooner uh, and being able to make money and, uh, you know, maybe having a fancier car uh, in, in the short run. For some, uh, for, for people that come from, from wealthier families, their parents are very educated, this may seem like a very natural arc to say, of course, I'm going to you know, go to college and uh, spend some time there and, and ideally learn something. So, but uh, for many first-generation students, there's a, there's a choice that gets made between 
choosing to go to college and make that time investment towards the future versus taking a, a job that's more immediately available and would provide a lot more near-term spending uh, uh, possibilities. So th that's not going to change. And, and overall, I think I would, I would, I would, I would believe in, and certainly hope that education would retain, um, uh, would be a priority in people's minds and would be valued, even if uh, we were to be able to lower the cost down to zero, as you were suggesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, thank you. That's the first question. Um, but moving into like the second part of this interview, um, I wanted to focus a little bit on monopolies. So do, do you feel like massive corporations that monopolize certain industries, um, that they have been limiting certain innovative idea, ideas and entrepreneurial ventures from developing in our, in our uh, economy? And do you think there's a solution to this issue? And I'm just going to give the example that I sent you earlier. If the technology for a hologram was invented, would massive companies like Intel, Microsoft, and Apple steal this innovation for themselves and use their wealth to control to stay in control of the tech industry. I can only begin by saying it's complicated, <laughs> and 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 I want to I want to actually try to do what I what I could possibly offer as the as my best input into this type of question, which is let's let's break down a little bit some of the ways you think about. Massive companies, and it's a it's a positive versus negative. Uh, on on the positive side, we have long noted and observed that innovation uh, and expenditures and R and D, patenting and so forth that rises with firm size. So bigger companies can spend more on this, and importantly, they have extra um, they have an a, a extra rationale. To, to be making innovative investments than, uh, than some of the smaller companies that are around them. Uh, and part of that goes to that some innovations, you're able to use it internally for your work and you get some benefits uh, that come out of that, but you can't really figure out a way to ever sell it to somebody else or to patent it or to somehow like package it up uh, for others. This is particularly true around what we call process innovations uh, versus uh, versus product innovations as also another category. And the bigger the company is, the more likely it is that they're going to be able to reap the rewards that come from these types of, of, of innovations because they have multiple product lines that they can um, that they can work with. So it's you know maybe a practical example would be. Uh, if you are Microsoft or if you're Google, you have a much bigger incentive to work on some of the you know, really cutting edge forms of artificial intelligence because you have a bigger product base and uh, ways that you can be putting that to work uh, compared to if you are if you're a smaller company. Now there there are settings where um, where we do find you can actually decouple these a little bit. Uh, the biotech pharma industry is a, is a very interesting example where you have a whole bunch of innovation that happens in biotech companies. Those biotech companies are often partnering or being bought and sold uh, with some of the bigger uh, pharma companies. Pharma companies are also themselves doing some R&D. And a, a few of the things that are important in that setting are the capacity of us to transact around the types of innovations that are being developed. So is this something that I can show you? 
uh, and still, you know, and let you quote kick the tires on it, but then still be able to exclude you from just stealing it from me. I can't do that if it's a website and some innovative thing that I might be targeting towards consumers because you're going to be able to eventually see that and say, okay, I can reverse engineer that and develop that. If it is a particular um, enzyme or if it's something that has come you know, out of some you know, very advanced work with biosimilars, uh, that is something I can show you what's happening here and your ability to reverse engineer that or to otherwise get around it is maybe blocked by my patent or just it, it, it's very difficult um, uh, to compute. So let, let me begin with that first point, which is to say size of alone is not, um, it, it is not altogether bad. Uh, and it's also not, uh, it's also the case that the industry structure and uh, things like how appropriable the patent is uh, are, are going to influence these uh, these dynamics. There are a couple of ways, though, that we, we do worry about the, the size. Um, one is that the, the bigger the company gets, we know that it, its work does shift to be less um, about exploring new opportunities. It, it focuses more on exploiting the capabilities of the organization and advancing them. And, uh, and so we want to have both in the economy. And, and the second thing to size, which I think is really now getting in, into the the area of your concern is a, a large organization may have an incentive to buy something and then stop the work on it. Uh, sometimes uh, in recent work, uh, following some, uh, some of my colleagues at, at Yale that were at the forefront of kind of labeling this and defining it, they call it the killer acquisitions. So they're, you're, you're purchasing something and then you're basically either subverting it, you know, uh, and not allowing it to sort of displace you in the market, or you might even just stop the development of it altogether. You have a, a successful product uh, that you want to keep, uh, you want to keep selling uh, if you're a pharma company. If you buy the one thing that could be the biggest competitor for you and, uh, and keep it from getting to market, well, you, you might be able to enjoy the, the monopoly profits uh, for longer. And that, that, that's a big challenge uh, that we are experiencing in, in a variety of sectors. Mm -hmm. um, all right, yeah, well, thank you so much for this interview. I'm really, I'm really glad that I got the chance to do this. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for uh, chatting with me about these issues. It's uh, fantastic. Oh, it's so interesting, that, yeah. Uh, you're, you're, uh, even as a high, high schooler, you've already got your first podcast uh, and that uh -huh. you're, uh, you're engaged in issues around uh, economics mm -hmm. and innovation, uh, which, uh, yeah. which, get, which get me excited. Well, I'm already applying to college and I definitely want to pursue entrepreneurship and maybe like minor in economics in college. So I'm very excited. Fantastic. But, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Have a good holiday. Yeah, you too. Take care. Jim.